Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa. So sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. John G makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Johnji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to johnji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at johnji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I dot com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Today's tale starts in the garden. Hey! You're dressing the part with your overalls. <laughs> a garden in Concord, New Hampshire that Justine visited a little while ago to talk with Maureen McMurray. So this is my garden. Um, tomatoes do really well, snap peas. You'll see there's some strawberries. I have a little section that's just all herbs and they thrive. Full disclosure, Maureen used to work on our show, but these days she's a listener. And for the past few years, Maureen's been living in a cute neighborhood near a park with her family. She and her husband have a seven-year-old, and when they moved in, she dug up the bushes in an old flower bed to grow vegetables. And I've grown things from seed back here, so the plants are alive. And the reason Maureen is clarifying here that the plants are in fact alive is because often she'll be digging in her vegetable garden, and suddenly her shovel will hit something. Clink. A distinctive, porous, rock-like lump. I mean, you can see it right here. What? Oh yeah, from here you can see it. There are just chunks. That's a lot of coal. And her question is... I'm growing stuff that's in the same soil as all of this coal. Am I poisoning myself and my family? This is Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie. And I'm Justine Paradise. And this is Yard Work our summer yard and garden mini-series. We've got three stories on our relationships with the land around us. This is part two, the backyard vegetable patch. For the past few years, Maureen's been growing vegetables in a backyard in New Hampshire's capital city, in the same soil where she's also been finding lumps of coal. So does this mean that the soil is contaminated? Today, Justine reports on how to know if it's safe to grow vegetables in the soil in your backyard. 
At first glance, coal sounded to me like it would be an odd thing to find mixed evenly into the soil. But upon further investigation, I learned that maybe it's not that weird. Maureen's house was built in 1880. And when I emailed a local historian to ask him about this, he told me that at the time, almost everyone in this city would have heated their house with a coal furnace. Even in 1940, that was still true for a little over a third of U.S. homes. Once the coal burned, people had to shovel out the ash. Sometimes they put it in cans on the curb to get picked up. But other times, people would bury it in the yard to fill in low spots. So maybe that happened at Boreen's place. For our purposes, I'm comfortable saying that these chunks were somehow left over from the days of home coal furnaces, and it's probably more common than I realized. But back to our main question. Is it safe to grow vegetables in the same soil? I think it's a really good question that everybody should be asking. Uh, you know, is, is the produce I'm actually growing and consuming and feeding to my family safe? This is Nate Burnitz. He works at the University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension. And he pointed out that many of us bring a lot of scrutiny to the produce at the grocery store, like checking the country of origin or if the vegetables are organic. And he thinks we should bring that same scrutiny to the soil in the backyard. There's kind of a thought that food is safer when you, uh, when you grow it yourself, which may or may not be true. Nate recommended getting the soil tested. There are a bunch of different companies who do this in New Hampshire, but I went with Nate's outfit, the UNH Cooperative Extension. And by the way, Cooperative Extensions, I really feel like they could be a whole episode of their own. Like these are programs that exist in all 50 states, and they were originally organized by the USDA with the purpose of getting regular people access to expertise on farming. And this was a whole thing, part of the American quote-unquote agricultural revolution when farm productivity dramatically increased in this country. So whole other episode, I digress. But one of the things a cooperative extension typically offers is soil testing. Doing a soil test is very easy and doesn't require any sort of technical expertise, at least for the person submitting the test. You can test for a lot of different things in the soil. For Maureen, Nate recommended a couple things. Their basic home grounds and garden package, which includes factors like pH and organic matter. And those are actually really important, and I'll talk about them in a bit. But he said, yeah, definitely test for heavy metals. Arsenic, selenium, chromium, uh, and mercury. The term heavy metal is kind of a loose one. But generally, heavy metals are a class of elements which are toxic even in tiny amounts. Exposure can cause cancer, organ failure, impede brain development. Some are necessary for us as trace elements, like copper, zinc, and iron. And they do occur naturally in the environment, including in coal. But when they're present at elevated levels, it's often a result of contamination. Like they're present in high concentrations in coal ash. Heavy metals are also dangerous because they bioaccumulate. It's why we get warned about the risks of eating fish that are higher up in the food chain, like tuna and swordfish. Once they're in your body, they can be there for a long time. The most common urban contaminant is a heavy metal, lead. Of course, lead is always something that should be tested for for any home uh, that essentially wasn't built recently was uh, was built before lead was banned in New Hampshire and the country. 
like Maureen's house, which is over a century old. Lead paint was only banned in new construction in 1978. And paint isn't the only source to consider. For decades, lead was added to gasoline to improve engine performance. But shockingly, churning lead into the air pretty much everywhere was quite bad. But leaded gasoline wasn't fully banned in the U.S. until 1996. And then there's the last industrial coal plant in New England, which still gets fired up just seven miles south of Concord. Those emissions aren't doing anyone any favors. And remember, coal ash also contains heavy metals like lead. All this to say, regardless of the chunks of coal Maureen kept finding, it would be good to know what exactly is going on in this soil. So after talking to Nate, I went back to Maureen's house to collect soil samples. So, so the methodology is you dig down six inches deep and then take samples from like three to five spots. And so I I talked to the soil testing, testing people and are you, are you ready to hear something? He was like, I would definitely get your soil tested. (laughs) Um, and he was like, I would do the heavy metals testing, like uh, for arsenic and mercury and things like that, because apparently that's associated with coal ash. I'm sorry to tell you this. (laughs) Oh no. But we'll see. We'll do, we're going to do like a whole suite and then you'll know exactly okay. what it is. I do regret asking this question. No, I don't. I'm glad to know. Oy. Okay. Okay. Let me know what you find. I will. Maureen said something else which stuck with me. She said she felt this shame because she hadn't tested her soil sooner. I'm a gardener too. I grow a lot of herbs and a few vegetables, and I actually live just a few blocks from Maureen's house in the same historic city. And I've suspected for a while that I should get my soil tested too, but every year I just don't do it. There's something about taking a bit of effort to figure out even how to do it, and the fact that it does cost a bit of money But honestly, more than any of that, it's this cognitive dissonance, like an ignorance is bliss kind of situation. A fear that as soon as I find out what is in the soil, especially if it's something scary, what if I have to stop gardening? Or what if I find out that I've been eating tomatoes laced with mercury for years? There's nothing I can do about that now anyway. So I wanted to know, but I was also afraid to know. And as the summers went by, I felt shame. It was preferable not to think about what could be in my soil. And so the path of least resistance is avoidance. But this year, Maureen inspired me. So I grabbed a trowel and collected the samples. In her garden and in mine too. Frankly, it was pretty easy. It took maybe 10 minutes. The cooperative extension explains exactly how to do it right on the form. You dig up a few spots in the garden, take samples from around six inches deep, Mix them together, pick out the roots and the rocks, and let it air dry. Then you put one cup of your soil in a labeled Ziploc bag and mail it off to the lab with a check. Speaking of the check, the basic test starts at 20 bucks, but I wanted to see about heavy metals too, including a couple which required special processing. So my tests added up to around $150, which for what I was doing seems comparable to other states. And then we waited. Apparently there's always a bit of a backlog in spring when everyone starts thinking about gardening again. But after about a month, I got an email with the results. 
Those results after the break. We're going to hear the results right after the break. But first, we are loving your responses to our episode on lawns, which we released last week as the first installment in our summer yard work series. We heard from Harold. He grew up in upstate New York with four acres of lawn. Apparently, this was a bear to manage, especially during mud season in the spring. Looking back, Harold wishes they'd planted willow or other riparian vegetation in some particularly wet spots. We also heard from Jen. She and her husband live in Portland, Oregon. They took out both their front and backyards, and they installed raised beds and a beneficial insect and herb garden. We love hearing from you, and we do tend to share our responses, sometimes here, sometimes in our newsletter, which is free and comes every two weeks. Our email is outsidein at nhpr.org. All right, we'll be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Outside In. At first glance, the soil test results were confusing. It was a lab report. And we tested Maureen's garden soil for over a dozen variables. The basics, pH and organic matter, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. The heavy metals, cadmium, copper, nickel, chromium, zinc, lead, plus an extra test for mercury and arsenic. And I am not going to list all the results because numbers are famously difficult to follow in audio form. We'll post more details on our website. But there are two results I want to focus on here. The first one is lead. Again, the most common urban soil contaminant, and it is very toxic. People have been aware of that for literal millennia. It's banned from paint, it's banned from pipes. It is a poison that impedes development of the human brain, especially in kids. And in Maureen's soil, the test results said lead was present at 453 parts per million, which at first was meaningless to me, even with the added note from the lab informing me that this is a, quote, medium level. 
Because again, heavy metals do occur naturally in soils that haven't been industrially contaminated. How bad is 453 parts per million? My own soil, by the way, was almost the same. Actually, just a little higher. I found out that this is above the background level in local soils. It's also above the acceptable limit for a, quote, child's play area. But it's below the amount that's generally acceptable for a residential property. But what about for vegetable gardens? I found a guide online to lead in soil, published by the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA. It included a visual spectrum, a colored line which on one end was green, safe, when lead is present in low concentrations, in the middle, yellow, for caution, and on the far end, red, danger. And 453 parts per million is right at that spot where the green is turning to yellow, right between safety and caution. I'd really wanted a straightforward number. Below X concentration, you're good to plant a garden. Above it, it's dangerous. But I could not find such a thing, and I was like, either I'm a terrible reporter, or this doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. (laughs) That doesn't. So this is Ganga Hatirachi. She is a professor of soil and environmental chemistry at Kansas State University. Most people won't, and I know most researchers won't to come up with these numbers as well. But at the same time, I have some concerns about that. One of Ganga's concerns is, what if an agency comes up with levels that are unrealistically low? Keeping gardeners away from gardening. Ganga has actually worked with communities to safely start gardens on contaminated sites, on brownfields. Because when it comes to any of these soil contaminants, what is important is their bioavailability, not their total concentration in soil. What's important is the bioavailability of these contaminants. This is relevant when it comes to nutrients and the human body, too. We need to cook and process certain foods to actually access nutrients, or sometimes to digest them at all. Take tomatoes. They contain a compound called lycopene. It's an antioxidant, super good for you. And some scientists have found that when tomatoes are cooked with olive oil, which perhaps not uncoincidentally is delicious, lycopene absorption goes up. It's chemistry. And it's the same principle when it comes to soil and plants. Plants have the ability to absorb or uptake elements through their roots, and that uptake changes depending on the conditions of the soil. And that brings me to the second result I want to look at more closely. Soil pH. pH is the measure of how acidic or alkaline a solution is, and it was included in that basic $20 test. And pH really matters, truly for anything that happens in the soil. Ganga called it one of the master variables at play here, because pH is a deciding factor as to what chemical reactions are possible. So when we're growing vegetables, we are hoping for conditions in which lead will not be bioavailable for plants. So ideally, we want pH to be near neutral, maybe just a little acidic. But soil pH is not the only important factor determining lead bioavailability. Another is organic matter, which is all the detritus from the once living stuff, like leaves and insects and twigs. The more organic matter, the better heavy metals bind to the soil, which is what we want, because the metal stays in the soil and doesn't wind up in the plant tissue. 
and it can also dilute the heavy metal concentration. So what does this mean for lead? Again, Maureen's soil tested for lead at 453 parts per million. The lab results said that this is a medium level. Now, the CDC says there is no safe level of lead exposure for human beings, especially kids, which makes it sound like the limit for lead in garden soil should be zero and absolutely not 453 parts per million. So that doesn't sound good. But the presence of lead is not the same as exposure to lead. This is why bioavailability is so significant. Is the lead in a form in which plants can actually absorb it? Ganga says if you pay attention to pH and a couple other factors... Most of the time, the lead uptake by plants is going to be pretty insignificant in most soils. Great news. In Maureen soil, the pH was more or less where it should be. Just a touch on the acidic side. So, the vegetables growing in her soil probably won't absorb much of that lead. With a couple exceptions. Except root crops, like carrot, radishes, turnip. So the type of plant matters too. Above-ground fruiting crops, like tomatoes, are better than root crops in this situation. And while Ganga wasn't too concerned about plant uptake, she was concerned about something else. The major pathways of most of the soil contaminants is direct ingestion. Direct ingestion. Eating the soil. Which with adults is typically an accident. But it can easily happen when rain splashes dirt onto leafy greens and you don't wash them well enough. Or if you breathe it in when it's windy. But there are people who deliberately eat dirt and who are also especially vulnerable to heavy metal exposure. Kids. When it comes to children, since they are more vulnerable, we have to minimize every possible pathway so that then we should consider any pathway, like even touching that. Luckily, there's a relatively simple answer to that one, too. Wash your veggies and don't leave bare dirt exposed. Cover it up with mulch. So as for Maureen's question, is she poisoning herself and her family? Based on the science we have right now, Probably not. So I have some answers for you mm-hmm. from the soil testing a little while ago. Are you ready? I'm ready. And I have um, I actually just picked some peas. I mean, we can go through it after what I decided to grow. Again, based on these results, I think that Maureen can keep gardening there. But there are some steps she can take to manage her risk. And a lot of these principles can, by the way, be applied to other gardens, too. One. Mulch, which Maureen has already done. The beds that I use are covered with mulch and compost. She can keep the ground covered with wood chips, which removes the possibility of the soil getting kicked up by the wind and inadvertently breathing it in. And it mitigates the possibility of her kid playing with and maybe eating the dirt. Two, she could install raised beds and lift the plants out of that soil. Nate Burnett's from the Cooperative Extension recommended 12 inches deep. Okay, cool. Three, crop selection. She should avoid root vegetables and go for more fruiting crops like tomatoes. I I didn't do root crops. Oh, fabulous. I've only done them once and they didn't do well. As far as leafy greens, the advice varies. After root vegetables, they are the next riskiest. Some say don't plant it at all when lead is elevated like this. Others say, if you do, wash it really well. Lettuce, chipmunk ate it, so... But I, w- I would have washed it anyway. 
All right. Four, she could amend her soil. And there are lots of ways you could go with this. Adding phosphorus could help, as could adding compost. And there's that master variable, pH. Can you change the pH? Or yes. do you, okay, how? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you add lime. Um, that's one way. Um, oh. Yeah. But there are trade-offs there because lead isn't the only heavy metal to think about. But these are questions of soil chemistry. And if you want to understand your soil, you do not have to figure it out alone. If you decide to get your soil tested through your state's cooperative extension, often they will help you interpret your results and share recommendations for your specific garden. That's the case in New Hampshire. That is so cool. And I wish I had done that a long time ago, just right in our backyard. That's amazing. How are you feeling after all this? Empowered. It's not only the information that like now you can call and get help and guidance. I feel empowered, excited, and relieved. Part two of Yardwork was produced and reported by Justine Paradise. Very special thanks to Jim Garvin, Tom Lamine, and Anna Peltseva. We tested Maureen's soil with the UNH Cooperative Extension, but you do not have to live in New Hampshire to do the same thing. We're going to put a link to find out your local cooperative extension in the show notes, plus a couple of other resources on soil lead. And if you decide to test your soil, we really want to hear about it. Tell us about your garden, what you're growing, where, and what you learned by testing the soil. Again, we love hearing from you, and we usually share a handful of responses in our newsletter, which is really fun, and it comes out every two weeks. You can get in touch by sending us an email. As always, our address is outsidein at nhpr.org. And you can sign up for the newsletter on our website. That's outsideinradio.org. This was part two of Yardwork, our summer miniseries. Next week is our third and last installment. Can a community garden survive gentrification? So he started an online smear campaign about the Berkeley Garden. Um, it was anti-Chinese. I mean, it was anti-immigrant. This episode was edited by Taylor Quimby with help from Felix Poon, Jessica Hunt, and me, Nate Hedgie. Rebecca Lavoy is our executive producer. Music in this episode was by Walt Adams, Newell Teal Records, Alexander Woodward, Martin Goffin, Blue Dot Sessions, and Arthur Benson. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market you can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.